everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got a deep dive on the story of Ronnie Radke and Escape to Fate. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out, you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the app store and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, so before we get started, welcome to the new bi-weekly schedule of Note to Scene. Like I said on Twitter last week, the show unfortunately just isn't growing enough to justify a weekly schedule at this point, but I do truly love doing this, and I can't believe that any people want to listen at all. So for everyone that's here, thank you. You might notice a little change to the show's format. I've just taken out the new music bits. I know some of you enjoyed them, but it honestly just adds a lot of extra time to creating each episode, and I want to use that time to make the dives even more in-depth. I've also moved the radio rundowns to the end of each episode, so if you're interested in those, be sure to stick around after the deep dives. I've also launched a Note to Scene Facebook group. I've had a lot of people reach out recently and ask if I could create a space for listeners of the show to discuss the episodes each week and just general scene history and nostalgia. So I've posted the link to join on Twitter. If you want in, just let me know and I'll send it to you. Please just don't be a dick. I can't moderate it 24-7, so I'm not going to see everything that's going on at any given moment, but any racism, homophobia, etc. will just get you banned. All right, I think that does it for updates. I'm really excited to launch the new bi-weekly format with this dive. It's honestly my favorite episode I've ever done because nowhere is there a definitive day-to-day timeline of the events that led to Escape the Fate's rise and eventual fall, and I dug so deep on this one. So here you go, enjoy. It's kind of hard to believe Escape the Fate has been around for over 15 years now. I think a part of me will always just see them as the young, rowdy scene band that was making headlines left and right during the second half of the late 2000s. And trust me, if you weren't around for the band's wild years, ask anyone who was and they'll tell you the scene never saw anything else quite like Escape the Fate. They were the scene's motley crew before asking Alexandria's wild years. The first time emo embraced the sex, drugs, and rock and roll mantra was with Escape the Fate. But before we get there, we gotta go back even further into the origins of the band. So before ETF existed, Ronnie and the members all played in various other local groups around the Vegas area. In 2014, a video surfaced on YouTube of Ronnie, Max Green, and Robert Ortiz playing a high school talent show under the name Lefty. They were playing pop punk, obviously influenced by Blink-182. Check out how it sounded. Escape the Fate was officially formed two years later in 2004 by Ronnie and Max Green, who was on bass, with Monty Money and Omar Espinoza on guitars and Robert Ortiz on drums. To this day, Robert is Escape the Fate's only original member. So soon after they formed, they added Carson Allen as a keyboardist for a short time from 2005 through 2006. Before this, I actually found live videos of the band when Ronnie was actually playing some keys live. But sometime in 2005, they put out a handful of demos, some of which made it on their first EP, and some of those made it to their first full length. But there are early demo versions of Not Good Enough for Truth and Cliché, Makeup, When I Go Out, I Want to Go Out on a Chariot of Fire, 
There's No Sympathy for the Dead, which was actually originally and ironically called I Can Swing a Mic Like Nobody's Business, and then As You're Falling Down. There was also one song that never made it onto any official release called The Structure Falls. So in September of 2005, their first break came in the form of winning a contest that was judged by My Chemical Romance. The contest was hosted by the Las Vegas alternative radio station X107.5 and required bands to submit one song and the winner would be handpicked by MCR. Wasn't able to dig up what the song was that ETF submitted, but sure as shit, they won and their prize was to open a show for MCR, Alkaline Trio, and Me First in the Gimme Gimmies. This got the attention of Epitaph, and the band signing was officially announced on December 2nd, 2005. So if you want to get down to it, I mean, ETF as we know them might not have ever happened if it wasn't for My Chemical Romance. I was actually able to dig up the original press release that Epitaph had sent out to announce Escape the Fate signing. Here's what part of it read. Epitaph is extremely proud to announce the signing of the gifted post-hardcore group Escape the Fate. The band is currently tracking in the studio with Michael Elvis Basquette for an EP due out in summer 2006, as well as a full length due out later in the year, drawing their influences from a huge cross-section of bands such as Under Oath, Atreyu, As They Lay Dying, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Thrice, Avenged Sevenfold, From First to Last, and many more. Truly labeling this band is next to impossible. Their unique style of music features an all-encompassing sound that is distilled down to one thing, pure energy. So they recorded their debut EP, There's No Sympathy for the Dead, with Elvis near the beginning of 2006. Elvis is certainly known for his work during the post-grunge era of the early 2000s, but he also has worked with quite a few scene bands, from Story of the Year to the Classic Crime. And also, interestingly enough, he produced Bless the Fall's first album, and he never produced another Escape the Fate release after Dying is Your Latest Fashion, but has worked on every single Falling in Reverse album. So we know he was definitely Team Ronnie. But the No Sympathy EP was a fantastic teaser for what was to come on Dying. It really was Motley Crue through a heavy emo lens. Between Ronnie's massive vocals and those diet 80s riffs masked with breakdowns and scene hooks, it was obvious they were onto something. Two songs from that EP made the next album, There's No Sympathy and The Guillotine, which, yes, was actually written about the Halo video game. But this EP was also the only release Escape the Fate ever recorded as a six-piece. Their one-time keyboardist Carson Allen left shortly after they finished recording the release to join the punky goth post-hardcore band on the last day. They released one album on Victory in 2006. I actually did find some notes online that say Carson did play on Dying Is Your Latest Fashion, but wasn't credited because he left the band before it came out. I'm not exactly sure where the line is on that, but like I said, he was the last and only time ETF was ever a six-piece. So they were obviously playing shows during this time, but I couldn't find any notable touring until after Dying came out. And I believe that's correct. 
But again, we have a case of lack of preservation of documentation around the early years of this band. And I say lack of preservation because I remember Alt Press doing extensive coverage of the early years of the Ronnie Radke Chronicles in both online and print. But AP's ETF tag archive online doesn't go back past 2010 anymore, which is a huge shame because they had a treasure trove of information at one point. But anyway, 2006 really was the year that changed Escape the Fate forever. Now, I wanted to get through the music timeline out of the way first and then dive into the legal side. There is so much misinformation about this entire chapter of Escape the Fate and Ronnie's career. It's honestly ridiculous how much Escape the Fate's Wikipedia page is incorrect. But also some of the local media outlets own reporting was incorrect back in the day. But that being said, what happened was incredibly complex and nowhere is there a definitive timeline of what exactly happened and when. So here we go. The true story about how Ronnie Radke went to prison and was inevitably kicked out of Escape to Fate. So around 2005 and 2006, Ronnie had been arrested multiple times for narcotics. He was a self-admitted drug addict, all while Escape to Fate was generating the first buzz of their career. And according to both of them, he wasn't alone. Max Green was in the exact same boat. But on May 6th, 2006, Ronnie Radke was involved in a shooting that led to the death of 18-year-old Michael Cook and the critical injuring of Michael Colquitt. According to a police report for the case, Ronnie challenged Michael Colquitt's brother, Marcel Colquitt, to a fight that ended up taking place in the desert area north of Shadow Ridge High School near the end of Decatur Boulevard. The dispute was over Marcel's girlfriend at the time. Marcel brought his brother, Michael, and another individual, Michael Cook, to face Ronnie, who brought Chase Raider and Raider's two cousins, Joseph and Jack Raider. Both Michael Colquitt and Chase Raider brought guns. According to the police report, Michael Colquitt drew his revolver on Joseph Raider and the two began wrestling over the gun. Joseph managed to wrestle the firearm away from Michael and then Chase revealed his own gun and fired at both Michael Colquitt and Michael Cook. Marcel disputed this in a later interview and said that he and his brother Michael saw Chase pull his gun before they did. Regardless, both Michael Colquitt and Michael Cook had been shot, leaving Cook dead and Colquitt in critical condition. The biggest thing to note through all of this is that nobody was ever convicted of murder, despite Colquitt's death. Chase Raider was initially charged with murder, but the charges were later dropped after it was ruled he acted in self-defense. Charges against Michael Colquitt were also dropped in late 2006. Marcel Colquitt was charged as a co-defendant with Ronnie and was facing felony charges, but he never made it to trial because he committed suicide in September of 2007. I mean, at this point, the story is already unreal and we haven't even scratched the surface on Ronnie. Cita Freeman, the mother of 18-year-old Michael Cook, who died, said in an interview, Marcel felt responsible for Cook's murder. He couldn't take it anymore. We found photographs of my son and his brother with blood on them near his body, which is just, I mean, I can't even imagine. Now, at the very beginning, Ronnie was taken in for questioning and then released. After that, charges of, quote, challenge to a fight 
and possession of a deadly weapon were submitted to the DA's office. Apparently, Ronnie brought brass knuckles with him to the fight. So because the brawl involved a deadly weapon, the brass knuckles, Ronnie's challenge to a fight charge was upgraded from a gross misdemeanor to a Category B felony, which carried a sentence of one to six years in prison and a possible $5,000 fine. Now, what I don't think people realize is that the shooting took place not only months before Dying Is Your Latest Fashion came out, but it was before the No Sympathy for the Dead EP too, which when you think about it is wild in and of itself. Ronnie is involved in a situation that leads to the death of someone on May 6th, and less than three weeks later, his band puts out a release called There's No Sympathy for the Dead. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say they already had the name picked out before the shooting, but still, I mean, could you imagine at the very least being involved in a situation like that and then just going ahead and putting something like that out? And then literally four and a half months later, double down and release something called Dying is Your Latest Fashion? Wild. So the shooting happens. Three weeks later, they drop the EP. That summer, they play a handful of shows on Warp Tour in July, and of course, record Dying Is Your Latest Fashion with Elvis. As you're already seeing, this entire timeline is a testament to how unbelievably slow the judicial system in the United States is. Ronnie's preliminary hearing was originally scheduled for September 26, 2006 the day before Dying Is Your Latest Fashion came out. Now I say originally scheduled because hearings and trials, regardless of the case, are known to drag out for unnecessary amounts of time in the US, so it might have been rescheduled to be later than the 26th. But before that, something also not many people seem to remember, Ronnie was kicked out of Escape the Fate twice, and the first time happened just weeks before Dying was set to be released. They even started an audition process. Here's a statement they released on September 12th, 2006. Again, this is before Dying came out. We feel that in order for the band to move forward, the only possible way will have to be without him. The reasons as to why are very personal. Just know that we still love him and we wish him the best of luck in the future. We need a new singer and we need one now. If you think you could be that and want to audition, here's what to do. There is a MySpace account on our top eight called Escape the Fate Submissions. Post everything there. We will be looking for everything from YouTube videos to demos from your old bands to MP3s and anything you can do to let us hear what you got. So the album comes out. They're still so small at this point, it doesn't even make it on the top 200, but MySpace is buzzing between the drama and the album, which only pushed the hype that much further. And I hate to sidebar here because the momentum of the story only picks up even more, but I cannot do a historical analysis of Escape the Fate without mentioning the scene queen herself, Mandy Murders. Alright, so Mandy Murders, real name Amanda Wyme, is the woman on the cover of Dying Is Your Latest Fashion. The story goes that her and Ronnie dated and broke up before the photo shoot, but they were still cool with each other, so she still did it. She was also in the Not Good Enough for Truth and Cliche music video. After this, Mandy went on to date Will Francis, the lead singer of Aiden, who also has quite a ridiculous and problematic backstory that has come out in recent years, but she dated Will for a while, and then they got engaged, but they broke up before they got married, and then she started dating none other than Ronnie's replacement in Escape the Fate, Craig Mabin, while Ronnie was in prison. Obviously, he was livid at that point. The guy who replaced him in his band was now dating his ex-girlfriend. But Craig and Mandy's relationship didn't last too long, and after that, she fell out of the scene in the MySpace spotlight entirely. 
Obviously, I jumped way ahead there, but I just had to do the Mandy Murders sidebar because scene personalities drove the scene more than the bands did sometimes back in the day. All right, so sometime near the end of 2006 and 2007, the band quietly brings Ronnie back in as their vocalist and ceases the auditions, all while his case over the fight drags out for nearly two years. The shooting took place again on May 6, 2006, and Ronnie wasn't officially sentenced until January 18, 2008. It was on that day that he pleaded guilty to one charge of battery with substantial body harm and was sentenced to five years probation and ordered to pay $92,372 in restitution to Cedar Freeman. Again, nearly two years had passed from the shooting to this point which means it was a little over a year since Dying Is Your Latest Fashion had been out. Before the sentencing, they had gone out on a number of tours in 2007. From February into March, they were direct support for the matches on the Epitaph Tour alongside I Am Ghost and The Hire. From the end of March through May, they supported Bullet For My Valentine on their US tour, but they actually got kicked off the last few dates for no official reason that was released. I don't know, that was really sketchy looking back. They played roughly 20 dates of Warp Tour that summer, and in the fall, they headlined a Hot Topic tour in September and October. Near the beginning of November, guitarist Omar Espinoza left the band. Max Green later said in an interview that he quit because of Ronnie. So again, during all this, Dying Is Your Latest Fashion is flying off shelves and merch booths, and both the band and Ronnie are exploding, all while Ronnie is dealing with his ongoing trial. Epitaph tried their hardest to keep the legal situation under the radar, but fans in the trenches were digging up what was going on. And it was after he got sentenced that things spiraled completely out of control for Ronnie. You see, as part of his probation, Ronnie had to be employed full-time, enroll in a drug and alcohol rehab program, and stay out of trouble. He also couldn't transfer his probation to another state, which meant he couldn't leave Nevada, which meant he couldn't tour. It was after his sentencing in January that he was officially kicked out of Escape the Fate for a second time, and that time it was for good. So he abided by his probation until he didn't. On March 13th, 2008, here's where things get crazy. Less than two months after he was sentenced, he ceased contact with his probation officer. 15 days after that, on March 28th, Escape the Fate played their first show without Ronnie. Of course, Craig Mabbitt was his replacement. Now, Craig wasn't an official member of the band during his first show. He had a trial run. Also, remember, he had just left Bless the Fall near the end of 2007, or was kicked out depending on which members of the band you asked back in the day. So this was his first show, March 28th. It was a mini festival in Vegas called Extreme Thing. Pennywise headlined that year, and Chiodo, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids, Alasana, and a few others played. What happened that day was the first public shot fired in the scene's most savage beef. Escape the fate, begin their set, the crowd itself is already hostile, yelling Ronnie's name back at them as they play. But who else is in the crowd? Ronnie himself. As the band begin to play, and at the time, early version of an unreleased song called The Flood, Max Green had had enough. Remember, Max co-founded the band with Ronnie. He was Ronnie's day one. He takes the mic and says, this next song is called, If I Could Stay Clean, I Could Stay With My Band. 
There is video that a fan who was in the front row filmed of this exact moment that day, and seconds after that, you can hear Ronnie scream back from the crowd, I can stay fucking clean, you dick. Here's the audio. Listen close. I can stay clean with my band. Max does an interview where he doubles down and said he called the song that because he saw Ronnie in the crowd flipping him off. But that day launched the entire Ronnie versus Craig, Ronnie versus Escape the Fate, and eventually falling in reverse versus Escape the Fate beefs. Max Green did an interview later that year and talked about that day specifically. Here's what he said. When we were at Extreme Thing, I was hearing stories from fans coming up to me that day saying they saw Ronnie and he looked fucking nuts. He was charging people for autographs or charging people to take pictures with him. I would also get calls from bands asking what was going on, that they had sent Ronnie $500 to say he was going to be in their band. I'd check out their bands and have to say, dude, Ronnie's not going to be in your band, bro. You just got hustled. Countless times I get messages from people saying, oh, I let Ronnie stay at my house and now my computer is missing. Or, hey, I just sent Ronnie a couple hundred dollars and now he's not answering my phone calls. It really pissed all of us off a lot. Like, we're trying to move on. We're in a tough enough position as it is, you know? And when we heard about what he was doing at Extreme Thing, we were fucking pissed. I mean, I take that personally. Like, that and our success comes from our fans, and you don't abuse that. If it weren't for our fans, I'd be working at a temp agency or a Domino's. I don't know what I'd do. You see, what adds a whole nother level to all of this, again, was that Ronnie and Max were best friends. They basically ran away from home together as kids, started ETF together, were both self-admitted drug buddies, and Max threw Ronnie under the bus every single chance he got. And Ronnie fired back whenever he had the chance to. Later in that same interview, Max literally said a majority of the money Ronnie solicited from people went to drugs. But so extreme thing happened on March 28th, 2008. Then, a little less than a month later, on April 23rd, a warrant was issued for Ronnie Radke's arrest. But once the warrant was issued, the cops literally couldn't find him. Ronnie was on the run from police for nearly two months in 2008. So how did they finally catch him? They basically had the local TV news channel put out a public PSA news segment about Ronnie. So on June 12th, a local Las Vegas news channel showed his mugshot, interviewed the mother of Michael Cook, the 18-year-old who died, at his gravesite. She told Ronnie in the interview to turn himself in. They explained his trial, charges, and sentencing in incredibly TLDR terms, which as you can see, it has taken me the last seven or so however long minutes to get through everything up to this point. So the segment certainly painted a strategic picture of Ronnie, but it worked for them. That segment blew up. Everyone was talking about it online and calls started pouring into the police department with people claiming they had info on where Ronnie was. Three days later, on June 16th, he was arrested. The U.S. Marshal's Fugitive Investigative Strike Team apprehended Radke at the intersection of Arroyo Grande Drive and Sunset Road around 5 p.m. And get this, an official police press release stated that Ronnie had been soliciting friends and fans for money so he could apparently quote-unquote reform his band. 
which ties back to exactly what Max was saying about him taking money from his friends and fans. So at the beginning of August, Ronnie is officially sentenced to four years in prison. Before this, while Ronnie was on the run, through his arrest and his sentencing, Escape the Fate were writing and recording what would be their second studio album, This War Is Ours, in LA with John Feldman. It was before they entered the studio that they made Craig a permanent member, but they didn't have much material ready. So the sound shift you hear on This War Is Ours is all Feldman. Obviously, they wanted to sound like a modern scene version of an 80s metal band. But Feldman guided them every step of the way. Ashley and Something are songs that Feldman can write in his sleep. But after ETF finished the album, Craig was feeling creative fatigue from going from the metalcore of Bless the Fall to the modern 80s vibe of Escape the Fate's new sound. So he started a new heavy side project called The Word Alive. I'll never forget the night he dropped those first Word Alive demos on MySpace. The scene exploded. At the time, Craig Mabbitt was one of the biggest poster boys in the scene. People loved Ronnie, of course, but Craig had inserted himself into quite a role. And given the shoes he was tasked with filling, I think he did the best he could have possibly done looking back. But dude had some serious clout in 2008, and people wanted him to do heavy music again so badly. So when he dropped those Word Alive demos, holy shit, MySpace was on fire that night. Check out the original Craig Mabbitt version of Casanova Rodeo. in an interview on Shane Told's podcast years later that they had quickly received multiple label offers, two of which were from Fearless and Epitaph. Of course, Escape the Fate was on Epitaph. They had just released the first single to This War Is Ours, The Flood, in September of 2008, and the album was coming out near the end of October. So Epitaph wanted them, but they didn't want to give another Craig Mabbitt band a push until his main band had gotten its full push. Craig explained it to the rest of the guys in The Word Alive, and they were not about it. They felt as though they were destined to only ever be a side band. So literally, while Craig was on tour with Escape the Fate, a buddy called him and said, look at The Word Alive's MySpace. And it showed that they had signed with Fearless Records, and Telly Smith, formerly of Greeley Estates and In Fear and Faith, had replaced him as their new vocalist. He said that hurt more than Bo replacing him in Bless the Fall did. But as you can see, these sidebars make it that much more difficult to tell things in a chronological order because of how much they overlap. So let's back up to the release of This War Is Ours. They had released The Flood and The Guillotine Part 2 as pre-release singles, and the album officially came out on October 21st through Epitaph. Debuted at number 35 on the top 200 and sold 13,000 units first week. Now imagine if the band had recorded a proper follow-up with Ronnie as their second album. They ended up shedding a ton of fans, who ended up being more Ronnie fans than just Escape the Fate fans. This War Is Ours is definitely an album that aged well because so many more people like it in retrospect than when it came out. There were people that were pissed with this album. And I mean, sure, the singer from fucking Buck Cherry is on it. So of course, scene kids were gonna be up in arms. 
So the album is out, and Ronnie Radke is sitting in a cell with steam pouring out of his ears, ready to burst a blood vessel. He's so pissed off at Max, at Craig, at all of Escape the Fate, at everyone. He has a few friends come visit him, and he has them post blogs on his MySpace for him. And no pun intended, he took no prisoners. In one, he put Max Green on blast. Here's what he said. I found out the reason why you didn't come. You were talking to that kid's mom the whole time, stabbing me in my back. She said she went to your house the day before my court date, but I wouldn't have shown up either if I was playing both sides. You are the real reason I'm in here, because you're too scared to fix your own problems. I just want to let you know, Maxwell, that your time's coming. Trust me, you're going to get what you deserve. I am more clean-minded than ever. Escape the Fate is me and always will be me. And you will forever live in my shadows. He's literally calling Max out for basically snitching on him to the mother whose son died as a result of the shooting. Now, remember Mandy Murders, sidebar from earlier, and how she ended up dating Craig while Ronnie was locked up? Ronnie went after Craig in this next post. He said, I didn't say anything about this before, but you really are trying to be like me, fucking my ex-girlfriend now? So tell me, how does my dick taste and my microphone? How is it living my life? It must be pretty rad. I would know. Don't get used to it. When I get out, there won't be much left for you to live in because the real deal will be back. But hey, maybe you could sing back up in my band. He went after Max again in another post. It has only just begun. A storm is coming and you can't stop it. I would rather be in prison and happy because I know who I am and what I have become than be in a band with a bunch of liars and backstabbers. Like I said before, I am your foundation. No matter where you go and what you do, I'll always be in your head. You must not remember the day we were all at Omar's and you walk in with your seashell necklaces and quicksilver t-shirts. After I got finished, you left looking just like me, because that's what you will always be, an image of me and what I made you. Holy shit. I mean, there was nothing the scene had ever witnessed like this and has ever witnessed since. So on October 16th, 2008, a little over two months after Radke received his prison sentence, he gave his first interview to a local news outlet called Las Vegas Weekly. It was a 27-minute conversation which was transcribed and the full audio was posted online. I'm not going to go through the whole thing word for word, but if you're at all interested in this case, I highly recommend giving it the full listen. It is a wild ride. You can find a three-part rip on YouTube, but if you just Google Las Vegas Weekly Ronnie Radke, you can find the original source. Ronnie is very candid throughout the entire conversation, and I think as self-aware as he could be at that point. He admits multiple times that he had been smacked out on drugs throughout the previous two years. He said Chase Rader, the guy who fired the gun that ultimately killed Michael Cook, saved his life during the fight, and he was so relieved Rader didn't get killed. He blames the entire fight and shooting on Max Green, who wasn't even there, which Max liked to point out in interviews he did throughout 2008 and 2009. He tells a slightly different story of what happened during the fight than what the police report said. He calls out Craig Mabbitt, says Craig had been plotting to take his spot in the band, and said he stole his entire look. He said that he was actually scheduled to record a new album with ex-Escape the Fate guitarist Omar Espinoza and some Love Hate Hero members on July 19th, 2008, but he was arrested a month before on June 15th. There's actually a super rough demo of a song that was recorded as a scratch track that we're going to get to in a second. 
He said he'd had guys in prisons come up to him, ask if his name was Ronnie Radke, hand him a poster to sign for their daughter. Probably his most insightful quote came when the interviewer asked that if going to prison made him feel like he had atoned for his sins, which he replied with, I don't deserve to be in here for the crime that was charged to me. I deserve to be in here for the things I've done to other people. So time passes, Ronnie unofficially forms a new band in prison, originally called From Behind These Walls, and later renamed Falling in Reverse. There is one song from the From Behind These Walls era that the band put up that was originally called Shipwrecked and then later called The Departure. The very first demo was recorded before Ronnie was arrested in 2008, weeks before they were supposed to fly out and record that new album. Ronnie sounds rough. Most people say it's because he had a cold, but he was also out of his mind on drugs, so take your pick. He literally admitted in an interview with Alt Press in 2014 that after he got arrested, he detoxed from heroin while he was locked up. So the song also features Nick from Get Scared on Vocals. You can check out a clip of it right here. So all while Ronnie is plotting his return from prison, Craig and Escape the Fate are on a roller coaster ride out in the free world. Craig is starting fights with fans during the band's shows, using some language that would definitely not be acceptable today. Check out this one during one of their sets on Warp Tour in 2009. Fucking, you missed the old singer. He's locked up in Nevada. Go suck his fucking cock, he found it. And by the way, anybody hoping to hear new shit from Ronnie Radke, he just got caught with heroin in prison, so he's staying there for a very long time. So fuck off. The song is called This War. So many kids went to Escape the Fate shows just to antagonize the band while they played. And what's ironic as hell is those videos from that time look exactly the same as when Ronnie kicked Icy Stars off that Falling in Reverse tour and Ronnie was fighting kids in crowds just a few years later. But it didn't stop ETF from touring. They hit the road all of 2009 and kept the machine going, which set up 2010 which was a huge year in the Escape the Fate and Ronnie Radka saga. First off, Escape the Fate became a major label band. They were updrafted from Epitaph to Interscope, which is under the UMG umbrella. They released their self-titled album on November 2nd. It was produced by Don Gilmore, who had become a legend after producing both Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory and Meteora. It sold 18,000 units first week and debuted at number 25 on the top 200, making it the biggest first week of their career. Both Massacre and Issues received mild success at rock radio. But by the time this self-titled cycle was finished, it really felt as though a lot of wind had been taken out of ETF sales. Now, less than two months after ETF's self-titled album came out, Ronnie Radke was released from prison in December after serving a little over two years. So Ronnie is out, and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Fight back. Falling in Reverse wasted no time and began recording what would become The Drug and Me Is You in January. 
They hit the studio with Elvis, who you remember from earlier in this episode when he produced both There's No Sympathy for the Dead and Dying is Your Latest Fashion. Again, to this date, he has never worked with Escape the Fate again, but has produced every Falling in Reverse album. If there's one person who has stood by Ronnie's side through literally everything, it's him. So they recorded the album over the course of two months, and the record was completely finished on April 2nd, 2011. The first single was Raised by Wolves, which came out at the beginning of June, and then Epitaph dropped the infamous I'm Back album commercial, which featured Ronnie walking out of jail and the breakdown in Raised by Wolves plays where he screams, this war is mine. The album was released on July 26, 2011. It had actually mirrored the 18,000 first week total that Escape the Fate had just done on their third full length. I mean, Ronnie hadn't released any official music in nearly five years, and he was in prison for a little over two years of that time. So for him to come out and immediately be on Escape the Fate's level was a huge statement. And like I said, he trashes them. Craig specifically, Max specifically, and more all throughout the album. Now, on the other side of the coin, major label band Escape the Fate is trying to distance themselves from Ronnie at all costs, but him throwing shot after shot on a surprisingly successful album, and then, get this, Falling in Reverse closed all of their first run shows with situations and not good enough for truth and cliche. So all of that, combined with the hype slowly draining from ETF, was rocket fuel for Ronnie and Falling. All while Ronnie is on his comeback parade, Max Green was where Ronnie was three years prior, slowly, fully succumbing to his addiction. There is a video that is honestly difficult to watch where ETF are playing a show on February 5th, 2011, and Max literally passes out on stage mid-song and none of the rest of the band even stop playing. I mean, Max is literally carried off stage by two stagehands and the band finished the song during the entire thing. There are girls in the front row who are filming the video screaming in terror, yelling for someone to help him. And it's so wild to see Craig and them knowing what had just happened and watch them continue playing in the background while everything's going on. So Max actually left Escape the Fate twice. Once in 2012, he cited personal and creative differences. TJ Bell, who was a guitarist for Motionless and White, joined as his replacement. Max then went and joined a band called the Natural Born Killers with ex-vampires everywhere and a smile from the trenches members and a few others. That was in the first half of 2012. And by the end of the year, he had already left the band and they broke up. Green spent an early part of 2013 in full detox and rehab. In July of that year, he did a reunion interview for Alt Press with Ronnie Radke. He had been completely sober and clean for 58 days at that point, which is when the Escape the Fate and Ronnie Radke feud officially ended and ETF and Falling in Reverse went out on the Bury the Hatchet tour. They did a full press run together, gave Alt Press an interview that showed them embracing each other. Basically seven years of animosity came to an end that day. But did it? I mean, first off, literally six months later, Max Green left Escape the Fate again. And where did he go after that? You literally can't make this stuff up. He joined Falling in Reverse. So yes, in 2014, Ronnie Radke and Max Green reunited in Falling in Reverse and played the entire Warp Tour together that summer. From what I understand, they actually recorded one song while they were in the band together, which was a cover of Green Day's She's a Rebel for a Kerrang! tribute album. But literally five months after joining Falling, Max left again. And that was the last time he and Ronnie were ever professionally connected. 
Ronnie would go on to beef a few random times with other ex-members of Escape the Fate over the years, but he created plenty of drama by himself that kept his focus elsewhere. I mean, from icy stars and mic stands to getting arrested again and beefing with nearly every member of his current band. And somehow, through all the smoke and flames, Ronnie Radke has come out as one of the biggest figures in rock music in 2021. The Drug In Me Is You has been certified gold, and Falling Single, Popular Monster, was only their third song to ever get approved for rock radio play, and it went to number one, and it stayed there. And since then, it's gotten certified gold. Falling In Reverse remain the fourth biggest band in the scene, and with their next album, they will contend for the top three. Escape the Fate, on the other hand, has actually managed to stretch their career out longer than most expected. They signed to a label called Better Noise after Interscope, which is the label you want to be on if you want to get rock radio play. Their 2013 song, One for the Money, is the biggest song of their career in both streams and charting on rock radio, where it peaked at number 11. I mean, somehow they managed to still be around after their atrocious last two albums, Hate Me and I Am Human. But I actually am friends with someone who works at their label, and even they're surprised at how well ETF streams in general, because it's not even a majority of their back catalog. They have a song from their last album in 2018 that is absolutely awful, with over 35 million streams on Spotify right now. It's their fourth most streamed song on the platform. So while they're nowhere near where Ronnie is, Escape the Fate defied the odds and are still kicking today. They will release their seventh album this Friday, which is wild in itself to think about. But again, the Ronnie Radke and Escape the Fate story is unlike anything the scene ever witnessed. Not necessarily as prolific as Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, but the stakes were so much higher, and that's what sets it apart. May 6th this year will mark 15 years to the day of the shooting that changed the lives of everyone involved and ended the lives of two. Rest in peace to Michael Cook and Marcel Colquitt. All right, before we wrap up, let's run down radio real quick. So MGK and Blackbeard are nearing the top five on Top 40 Radio, sitting at number six right now, up nearly 3% in plays. They're still number one on alternative radio as well, although they're starting to drop in plays there. Still, it's back up to number 28 on the Hot 100. If it can close to the number one spot on Top 40, it should have no problem breaking the Top 20. Over at Alternative Radio, we have some new faces. 21 Pilots' new song, Shy Away, jumps to number three in its first week. Should be an easy number one by next week or the week after, but the big question is if they can have a real mainstream hit again. They haven't had one since Heathens. Gotta get to top 40 and hope that's enough to carry it. All Time Low's new single, Once in a Lifetime, jumps to number 19 already, up over 22% just from last week. It's looking like it isn't losing any momentum yet, so fingers crossed we don't hit a wall once we get a little higher. It's so important to have a solid follow-up once you get a little momentum behind a previous song. So Nothing Nowhere is down nearly 10% in plays, unfortunately, dropping from 18 to 21. I mean, that's a bummer there. It might be over. We'll see where it lands over the next two weeks. Mod Sun and Avril Lavigne break even at number 22, but down a little over 1% in plays, so it's looking like that one has definitely hit a wall, unfortunately. Still, when that next Avril album comes, we're doing the definitive note to scene Avril Lavigne deep dive, and I cannot wait. And before we wrap up Alt Radio this week, something interesting. The main's first single from their upcoming album, Sticky, has been submitted and is currently sitting at number 49. It's still way too early to tell if it's going to make any real impact, but it's still exciting and intriguing nonetheless. 
think the real story behind the main right now is that they're not an independent band anymore. They've signed to Photo Finish Records for their new album. Scene kids might remember Photo Finish for putting out 303 and Anthony Green's first solo album, among some other scene bands back in the day. But what's interesting is that the label had a surprise smash alt radio hit in 2019 by a group called Shade that evolved into a breakout hit and made it to number 13 on the Hot 100. So, like I said, a very interesting and exciting look for the band. I'm really stoked that Sticky is the song that's getting pushed because it's such a fucking earworm. Definitely going to keep a close eye on this one. Over at Rock Radio, we have Bring Me the Horizon at number 7 and Architects at number 8. It feels like we're losing a little bit of momentum here, but fingers crossed they can build it back up. A Day to Remember breaks even at number 12, but still up 8.6% in plays. It's not even in the top 10 yet. It's still the most successful song they've had in years. Escape the Fate dropped from 13 to 14, down 2% in plays. And finally, Black Veil Brides break even at number 19. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Music